Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. All right, well, good morning again. What an incredible start to our Sunday, uh, watching those um, take the step of obedience in believer's baptism. Uh, there's nothing more incredible. That is as tangible as it gets to showing people what's going on in our lives. Uh, if this is your first time here, your, your first time in a little while, we are in the middle of a series called Power Thoughts. And I'm going to test the group. Um, last week, I shared with you all a power thought. And let me see if you all remember what that was. What was the power thought? Okay. Um, I heard some of you. You used the, the same name, but a different name. Let's try it again. What was the power thought for last week? That's right. God loves me unconditionally. And not only does he love Ronnie unconditionally, but he loves you unconditionally. He is amazing in that um, we, most of us don't even understand what that kind of unconditional love looks like. And, and what I shared with you last week is this concept of neuroplasticity. And science has told us that you can rewrite the pathways on your brain. Anybody here say, yes, my husband needs that? <laughs> or, well, I'm not even going to go there. Neuroplasticity allows us to rewrite both physically and functionally our brains. This has to do with how we deal with depression, how we deal with anxiety, how we deal with um, compulsive behaviors. And the truth of the matter is we have the ability to change. And, and folks, I just want to tell you, I'm not relying on science. I'm not relying on the evidence that they have found. I'm relying on God's word. Because here's what he says in uh, Proverbs, or I'm sorry, Psalm 34, 14. He says, seek, inquire for, and crave peace. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead of you guys back there. Um, here is how we rewire our brains. And it's called frequent strong actions. Now, I challenged you this past week that you should use that power thought, God loves me unconditionally, and you should remind yourself that God loves you unconditionally over and over and over again. Not 10 times, not 100 times, not even a thousand times, you should be reminding yourself that God loves you unconditionally thousands of times a day. The truth of the matter, though, is that most of us struggle with that. We'll, we'll tell ourselves that, and it sounds great, and we want it to be true, and then we leave it. And then we spend the rest of the day thinking about all the things that could go or are going wrong in our lives. Well, here's the good news. You guys get a second chance. If you failed, if you didn't even make it past lunch last week and you forgot what the power thought was, you could do it again this week. 
or I'm going to introduce you another power thought. And that power thought does come from Psalm 34, 14. And Psalm 34, 14 says these words, I um, seek, inquire for, and crave peace, pursue Go after it. This is coming from the Amplified Version. I love the way that the Amplified Version says that. Because here's the reality. We need to pursue after this. We need to take strong action. We need to, like, like a lot of times when we think about peace, we just think about things not happening. And the problem is when we want peace in our life, our actions don't line up with our intentions. Anybody say amen to that? I mean, you want to be nice to that relative. You want to love on that relative. And then you're in the same room with them. And our actions don't line up with our intentions. Something's going on at work. And you want to trust God with all of your heart. But the problem is that life is happening. And instead of trusting God, what you do instead is you start thinking about all of the worst case scenarios and you start allowing those to rewrite your brain, to restructure your gray matter. And so here's what I would tell you. If you want peace, if you truly want to experience what the Bible shares with us about this topic of peace, don't tell me, show me. Matter of fact, um, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the person in the mirror. Matter of fact, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you just need to get on to them. Say, look, don't tell me that you want peace. Show me. And then start living it out. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you the um, power thought for this week. And that is this. I pursue peace with God, with myself, and with others. Well, it, that has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? A little bit of rhythm in the way that you say that. I pursue peace with God, myself, and others. But the truth of the matter is this. When the Bible talks about the word peace, it's a lot different than what we use. The, the Jewish word for peace is shalom. And so a lot of times when we think about peace, we think about the absence of conflict. We think about the water being calm. And what God wants you to know is that you and I can experience peace in the storm, before the storm, after the storm. You see, shalom is so much more than the absence of conflict. Shalom, peace, means wholeness. Everything is as it should be. COVID's going on. We can experience peace in the midst of COVID. We can experience peace in the midst of cancer. Say, Ronnie, I don't understand that. Do you mean if the cancer goes away? No, we can experience peace through it no matter what happens. See, that's the amazing thing about God. All we have as a, a reference is the the dash in between the two dates that end up on our tombstones. We think about our birth date and the last day we take breath and that what happens in that dash. And the reality is this, that when this life ends, when you take your last breath, you begin eternity. Eternity doesn't end in 80 years. 
It doesn't end in 20 years abruptly. We don't even have the concept of what eternity means and how that it goes. I mean, I know that Disney tries to, to tell us this to infinity and beyond. We don't even know what infinity looks like. So how can we get beyond it? But one day, every one of us will understand. So to experience peace, to experience shalom, we have to be in harmony with God, with ourselves, and with others. So let me share with you how to do this. First of all, you've got to be in peace with God. I'd be foolish to believe that there's some here that don't have a bone to pick with God. Something's going on in your life that you're not happy about. Something that you have prayed about fervently for years. And for whatever reason, God has saw, saw fit not to answer that prayer. Certainly not the way that you want him to answer that prayer. The great theologian Garth Brooks said it this way. Thank God. Y'all didn't know that, that Garth Brooks was a theologian, did you? Thank God for unanswered prayers. And I can't explain it to you on this side of the answer, but I'm here to tell you that God can and will one day. But you have to be at peace with God until then. Here's the problem. What we focus on grows. And if you're focusing on what God hasn't done in your life, if you're focusing on what you want God to do and it has yet to happen, you're going to be very disappointed with the creator of the universe. Can you imagine that people being mad at God? I know it's just the, the, the online audience. They have been mad at God at some point in time. Maybe are today. No, no one in here has ever been mad at God. Can you imagine being mad at your creator, the person who formed you fearfully and wonderfully? The person who knew your future before you ever took your first breath. Can you imagine being mad at the person who loves you more than anyone ever has? And yet today, even in this worship center, all across the city, there are people who are mad at God. That is why when we say that we pursue peace, we start with God. It's the most important. If you have one of these uh, note takers there um, close to you, I'd ask you to open it up and pull it out, and you'll see the, the power thought sheet here. And on the back, I put some Bible verses that have scriptures that are relevant to this concept of peace. And down third from the bottom is one called John 16, 33. And Jesus said these words to his disciples. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, most of the time when we read that scripture, we stop right there. And we expect that because we have the name of Jesus, we call ourselves a Christ follower, we try to live out a good Christian life, we expect to have peace because John 16, says that. And, and you know what? You're correct. It says those words, but there's more words to that verse. Continue to read with me. 
In the world, you will have tribulation. Anybody experience tribulation? Look, tribulation is real. Medical disasters happen. Divorce happens. Family members abandon you. That happens every day. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I, not Ronnie Tabor, I, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, have overcome the world. See, that's where our peace comes from. If you want to have peace with God, you have to recognize that it's his peace on his timeline. Peace with God is probably the easiest to get. I know that that seems to be uh, maybe not the easiest to understand, but God has done everything for us. And all we have to do is accept what he's done. All we have to do is trust. The second part of peace is to have peace with yourself. The reality is this, that we can enjoy peace with ourselves, but we have to pursue it. We have to put effort into it. We have to work for peace. And most people struggle with this. They aren't able to forgive themselves. And what they're really saying is they can't accept the forgiveness that God gives to them. We have no concept of grace the way that God shares it with us. And the question you have to answer is, can you learn to forgive yourself because what God has done for you? I'm going to ask you guys to raise your hands if you agree with this statement. Now, I know that most of you just got nervous. And, and, and if you know me, you think you're about to be volunteered for something. Here's the statement. If you agree with it, just give me a little bit of an amen there. I am not where I need to be, but thank God I am not where I once was. Amen. Come on. God is still working on me. And I'm confident that God is still working on you. And I don't believe he'll be finished until you take your last breath. And when that happens, when you take your last breath, you will enter into eternity. And then all of the challenges in life that you didn't understand will make sense. All of the, the craziness about the tribulation that happens in this world will finally make sense. But you've got to accept that you're not perfect. You've got to accept that you make mistakes. You've got to accept that you're going to fall next week. Some of you this afternoon. Many of you right now. <laughs> but here's what's crazy about this. There's nothing that you can do that's going to make God love you any less. 
And if you could get that, if you could get last week's power thought, this week's power thought would be so much easier. Because if you recognize that God does love you unconditionally, it'd be so much easier to have peace with God. I mean, how could you not love somebody who loves you? And when you've got peace with God, it's easier to have peace with yourself. And we think of the third component to this, I pursue peace with God, myself, and others. And the reality is this, that you cannot give away what you do not possess. You cannot have peace with others unless you first have peace with God and with yourself. This isn't a smorgasbord that you can choose peace with other people today, peace with yourself tomorrow, and peace with God next week. These are, they, they go in line, they are one, is part of the other. If you look on the back of the sheet, the bottom two verses, Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on who? You, that's right. Be at peace with all. And then the next verse, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men. Let me give you four easy ways to pursue peace. Do you like easy? I mean, I say that and then you're going like, well, all right. So let me share with you four easy ways to pursue peace. Number one is don't expect people to be perfect. Jesus has already come and gone. He'll be back one day. And when he does, you can expect him to be perfect. But please don't expect your husband or wife to be perfect. Yesterday, we had the privilege to, to join Augie and Carol for their 50th wedding anniversary. And they revealed to us that not all 50 years were perfect. <laughs> and the reality is this. If you want to pursue peace with others, you need to not expect them to be perfect. The second thing is don't expect people to be like you. I probably just repeated that. That's just redundant there. Don't expect people to be perfect. Don't expect everyone to be like you. But thank God that they're not. Have you ever thought about that? I just wish, and then you, well, that wouldn't work out. Number one, don't expect people to be perfect. Number two, don't expect everyone to be like you, and thank God that they're not. And number three, don't be a discourager. Instead, be an encourager. Find the good. You got to look for it. You got to go treasure hunting. But the good is there. You just got to find it. And then the last of these four is don't give up your peace with others over the petty. Family members haven't talked to each other in a decade because of petty things. Husbands and wives haven't talked to each other this month because of petty things. Don't give up your peace with other people over the petty. That's where you take on the mind of Christ. I think the Bible gives us great examples of everything that it expects us to live out. And and so what I would encourage you, if you've got your Bible here today, open up to the book of 1 Samuel and chapter 25. And I want to introduce you to a lady named Abigail 
And Abigail is someone who I call a pursuer of peace. And what I want to do is I want to read you the story about Abigail. If you showed up here today and you do not own a copy of God's word, I would encourage you to look at that seat in front of you, either to the right or the left. And there are little Bibles like this. And if you open that Bible up, it says here, if you do not own a copy of God's word, feel free to take this copy and make it your own. We're serious about this. We want, if you don't own a copy of God's word, We want you to put your name in here. We want you to take it home. We want you to use this, not just on Sundays, just like we're not a church just on Sundays, but every day of the week. We want you to be a Christ follower that doesn't read the Bible just on Sundays, but every day of the week. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, I'm just going to share you this story about this young lady named Abigail. It says, it begins in verse 1, now Samuel died. And all Israel assembled and mourned for him, for they buried him in his house at Ramah. And then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And if you don't know who David is, David is, has been anointed to be the king in replacement of Saul. Right now, he's running from Saul. He's lived in the wilderness with 600 men, warriors. And he's waiting for God to give the kingdom to him. And the man who God had called to anoint David as the next king, Samuel, has now died. So you can imagine that David is a bit emotional about this. Imagine a a mentor, somebody that you looked up to, uh, that uncle, that father figure that passes away. This is where uh, David was in relation to Samuel. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. If you don't know anything about the Calebites, the, uh, Caleb, when he went into, after they conquered the promised land, um, he had told that he, there was a mountain that he wanted, and it wasn't part of the nation of Israel. And God allowed him, because of him and Joshua's Stana, gave him that mountain and that land. And, and really, the Calebites grew up separate from the rest of the nation of Israel, although they were part of it. And as part of that being separate, they, they kind of took on a persona. In verse 4, it says, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants, to your son David. What David was asking for is, me and my men, 600, are about to travel. And we need some food to sustain us while we're traveling I know that you've got a lot prepared because of the business of shearing. didn't happen overnight. This was a a weeks-long process. And there were a lot of Nabal's men that, that were there helping. And so David 
was asking, hey, we've protected you for years. He didn't say that, but everybody knew it. And so he was asking for a little bit of a help. Well, here was what happened. In verse 9, when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Now, let me just tell you, Nabal knew who David was. Everybody knew who David was. They knew that he was going to be the next king of Israel. And yet, Nabal was kind of poking the bear. Verse 10, and Nabal answered David's servant, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told David all of this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. Remember two weeks ago when Greg was here with that sword? Could you imagine 400 men strapping on their sword? That's what happened. Verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were like a wall to us both by night and by day. All the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Verse 18. And then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared, five says of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. I think she was praying while she was riding. You know, you can, we can do that, right? There are many different postures of prayer, and I believe that this is what Abigail was doing. The young men went ahead with the donkeys with the, that were loaded down with the food, and she was coming behind, not at the same pace. I believe that she was reaching out to God. In verse 20, and she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain. Behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now, David had said, and, and let me just stop here for a second, and, and guys, I'm going I'm to rat us out as men, because have you, ladies, have you ever been going down the, the road on the interstate, and you look over at your husband, your knight in shining armor, the man who you love with every ounce of being that you have, and have you looked at them and said, honey, what are you thinking? And I am confident that they gave the answer that all men give, and that is nothing. <laughs> now, the truth of the matter is they didn't finish the sentence. That was nothing with a comma, not nothing with a period. And what they meant to say was nothing that I want to talk to you about. 
The reality is if you could hook up your husband or men to an EKG machine, there would be brain waves going. I know that you've convinced yourself that that ceased to exist years ago, but it's not true. And that's what happened here with David. And now David had said, and he said this to himself, surely in vain have I guarded all that his fellow, in verse 21, has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. I'm guessing that he gave directions to his men, don't take any of his flock. And if anything bad's happening, protect him. If you see wolves, kill them. If you see lions, take them out. And he's remembering that. And his men followed his directions. In verse 22, God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him alive. That sounds like a man of God. That sounds like a man after God's own heart. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face, and she bowed to the ground. In verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Oh, my goodness. How many wives have done this for their husbands? And here's what Abigail's doing, the pursuer of peace. On me alone be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. This is her husband she's talking about. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives... And as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Folly. And now let this present, I'm sorry, verse 27. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And the Lord, when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, see, they knew. My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without a cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Abigail was a pursuer of peace. Abigail pursued peace with her God. She pursued peace with herself because she was doing something that was against her husband. And she pursued peace with others, with David. 
And she did exactly what is a great example of what pursuing, what working for, what striving for peace looks like. It wasn't free. I don't know if you heard of all the, the, that amount of food. They didn't have a piggly wiggly that she could swing by and pick that up. She was giving from her own family's food sources. She was giving from the food sources that her own family had prepared to eat that day. Her own family was going to go hungry because of the actions that she took to pursue peace. And because Abigail pursued peace with God, because she pursued peace with herself, because she pursued peace with others, David was able to experience peace with God. He was experienced able to experience peace with himself, and he was able to experience peace with others. Let me listen to David's own statement in verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. And then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I've obeyed your voice, and I've granted your petition. Abigail was a pursuer of peace. I hope this week that you will focus on these words. I pursue peace with God, myself, and others. Matthew 5, 9 says these words, God blesses those who work for peace. Folks, it's not enough to desire it. You've got to put the work in. You've got to sweat for it. You've got to put some effort into this. And God, through his holy scripture, says that he blesses those who work for peace. For they will be called the children of God. Shalom is one of the God's favorite words, I believe. It appears 250 times in the Old Testament. I believe that shalom is what we hear in numbers when we see Moses pronounce the blessing on the children of Israel. The words that are recorded numbers say this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Think about the person who has loved you the most in their life. And, and think about that look that they make when they see you. Some of you guys, it's a puppy dog. That tail doesn't stop wagging. Think about the creator of the universe making his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you 
peace. Worship team, if you'll come up. To experience shalom is to be in harmony with God, yourself, and with others. Maybe there's many here today that you are not in harmony with God. You don't have peace with God. Maybe it's as simple as this. Uh, you saw many take this step of faith in uh, believer's baptism today. You have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and yet you have never followed in that one step of obedience. You've never made it public. Maybe you're here today and you have been living a life far from God and you realize that you need peace with God. You want peace with God and you are ready to accept the peace that God gives. And so the question is, are you ready to make that confession? There's decision cards in front of you. There are the orange cards there. I would encourage you to pull one of those out and let us know what that decision you're making today is. Well, not only do you need to be in harmony with God, but you need to be in harmony with yourself. You need to accept God's love. You need to accept God's unconditional love. How do you do that? You embrace God's story in your life. God has a story that he's writing through you. The problem is many of us, we rip the book out of God's hand. And we don't give them a chance to finish the story. And I want you to know today that God's not done. And the last thing when it comes to shalom, when it comes to peace in our lives, you have to pursue peace with others. And I'll leave this with you. What actions, what work, think about what Abigail did. What do you need to do to pursue peace? In your relationships. I have no doubt that it's come to your mind even as I've been preaching today. What are you going to do about it? You're going to leave it there in the seat? Or are you going to follow through with decisive action? Will you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray and then when I say amen, I'm going to step down here. If there is anything that I can pray with And for you about, I'll be right up here. Join me and I will pray with you. And while I'm doing that, our worship team is, they are going to be praying a blessing over you. And what I would encourage you to do is to receive the blessing. Now, I know we're Baptists. And I know that uh, some of you are uncomfortable in, in showing emotions in the house of God. But I want you to know that this is the place to show emotions. And what I would encourage you is I don't know where you're at. And I don't know how bad you need a blessing from God. But here's what I would ask you to do is open yourself up to it. Now, some of you are going to do it like this. You're going to have your hands down here. Like, come on, send that blessing down here. I got it right. It'll reach you. All right. Some of you, you're going to get a little bit more. and You're going to do this. and, 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 And trust me, the blessing is coming. Some of you are going all in. Come on, feed me. God, I need a blessing. My family needs a blessing. My church 
means a blessing. And God in heaven, I ask that you make your face to shine upon all those that are here today. Those that are watching online. And I pray that you will. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 